Hello everyone and welcome to Queen's Speech, episode 68. This is the podcast where two old pansy boys talk about the (laughs) impact of gender on same-sex attracted people. So that's lesbians, gays, and when the moon is in the seventh house, bisexuals. Here Here today on episode 68, we have a whole load of shenanigans, tomfoolery, and buffoonery from a Mm. variety of people. Because it's current, because anyone who lives in the UK or anywhere in the world actually will have seen many, many marches, protests and demonstrations about what's happening in the Middle East, I thought we won't cover that, but we should cover a group that are intimately involved in all of these protests, certainly here in the UK and, I believe, in the USA. Have you heard of Queers for Palestine, Mr. Dennis? Mm. Yeah, they related to turkeys for Christmas. That's correct. They are indeed. (laughs) Yeah. This is a bunch of people who call themselves queer, which... Mm as far as I'm aware, is absolutely meaningless these days, who Mm -hmm. are for Palestine. And I don't quite know what being for Palestine means either. Mm. So this is a loose coalition of people who, from what I've seen of them, they tend to be very young. They seem Mm -hmm. to be very few actual lesbians or gay men amongst them, but quite a lot of TQ plus looking people quite a lot of non-binary types, and they are for Palestine. And you see them appearing on these marches. The second march, I think it was, Queers for Palestine were there with their Progress Pride flag. And then another member of a different contingent of that march ran up to them, snatched the Progress Pride flag out of their hands and threw it to the ground. Mm. These are the people that they are for, apparently. Maybe. Who knows? I just find them completely and utterly ridiculous and stupid. They have to be the stupidest movement in a whole world (laughs) of stupid movements. I I think, I suspect that you might agree with me there, Mr. Dennis. I think I would agree with you, Mr. Clive. And uh, funnily enough, I'm just looking at a picture now um, of our our good old friend, Peter Tatchell. You remember Peter. Oh, yes. um, You remember Peter, who was, I think the last time we encountered Peter, he was saying to a massive autogynophile, no, no, no more drink. Yes. he was telling Helen Joyce about his exploits in a dirty sex club in Sheffield. Because <laughs> that's what Helen Joyce has to sit through these days. Thank you, Helen, mm-hmm. for taking one for the team. Yeah. But um, I, I kind of agree with him on this. Peter Tatchell attended a, a march and he said this. He said he had, a, he had a sign and it said, Armistice now, end Israel's occupation I mean, obviously, I, I disagree with that, but, you know, I don't want to get into the politics of all that on this because we're talking about gender. But then he said on his placard, end Hamas's sexist, homophobic and anti-human rights dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And he, Peter tweeted to say, stop the war stewards. Good old stop the war. Mm-hmm. It's, only, it's only some wars. They never tried. They didn't try to stop Assad 
gassing a, a two hundred thousand Arabs. They don't they try do. and stop Putin annexing Ukraine. Some wars are more equal than others, but in any event. He said, stop the war stewards, block my way to the start of Palestine march. They objected to my placard. They said I was a troublemaker and we're here to stop you. We know what you did at the Ukraine march. I don't know what he did mm, there. Well, that's I a reference to. But he supported the Ukraine basically was the, mm. um, was, was the problem. And I have to say, it's a rare occasion where um, I, I, I sort of feel some sympathy with Peter Turchill. And I think, mm. you know, I compare... Queers for Palestine with Patchell here correctly pointing out that Hamas, um, a prescribed terrorist group, do indeed run a sexist, homophobic, anti-human rights dictatorship. I think I think Peter's got a point there. But it's interesting, yes. isn't it, what free speech they allow and what they don't allow. And it seems that seems that Peter's wasn't acceptable. Well, I would have thought I would have thought that Western progressives, as they like to call themselves, would be well aware of the nature of the Hamas regime in Gaza, that it is indeed mm. uh, misogynist, anti-Semitic, racist, and deeply homophobic. But apparently, no. Apparently, queers for Palestine are not really concerned about queers in Palestine. Funny because that. if any one of these uh, non-binary, blue-haired, demisexual, demi-boys went to Gaza, they'd probably find themselves on top of a tall building before their feet touched the ground, being yeah. th thrown down to be stoned if the yeah. fall didn't kill them first. I mean, it's unbelievable that these people are, are basically being shills for a far-right, terrorist organization this idea yeah. that the the pro-palestine marches are somehow left-wing is a nonsense when they include so many people who are supportive of organizations like hamas and hezbollah it's ridiculous to call them left-wing demonstrations just mind-breaking bourgeois nonsense i mm -hmm. i saw a lovely exchange which restores your faith in humanity and it was between uh, a palestinian guy and um well-known jewish television personality and activist rachel riley mm -hmm. and he you know he's you know he doesn't obviously he doesn't agree 100 with israel to, to to put it mildly but he you know knows what hamas are and they had they had a really lovely exchange where it ended with him saying look you know the best thing in the middle east and when this works and i remember it working is jews and palestinians sort of holding hands and and being friends because when we're friends we're, we're the we're the best friends on the planet and it was a very rare example of a really reasonable nice exchange in mm. this and it's interesting that he was able to call these guys out but these white western guys aren't able to do that and they won't even let peter tatchell of all people come down with something that is critical of hamas and that that and that I think t tells you quite a lot about what's going on there. In addition to the progress pride flag example that you've given, I do think if they weren't wearing Palestine for the weekend, they'd be wearing gender. You know, all these TQ plus 
quiz for Palestine. It, it feels a bit insulting to have your entire identity, for want of a better word, to be worn. And I imagine there are many feminists out there thinking of AGPs and that sort of thing who can really relate to that. The idea of being worn as an identity, mm. which is what I feel when I look at them, sort of irritates me somewhat, shall I say, if I put it in those terms. Well, British understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it slightly ticks me off as well. <laughs> I'm I'm somewhat perturbed by it. <laughs> yes. Um, I feel somewhat untowards towards them. Very good. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, it's the stupidity that bothers me. And yeah. it's the, the parallels with gender are so clear. It's all very black and white. You're either with us or you're against us. If you aren't with us, then you're for blah, blah, blah. Let's list a load, load of nasty things that you, you must therefore yeah. be, be for. It's exactly yeah. the same, just transplanted onto the politics of the Middle East, which is is genuinely complex and complicated and difficult to understand. Unlike gender, which is perfectly simple, <laughs> easy to understand. They just try and complicate it. It's, it's such a good point that you raise about it being complex. I was... I was talking with um, some friends about the, um, I think it's Arab League, or it's all, all the Arab nations have met, met in Saudi Arabia, I think it is. And the superficial reporting is, oh, they sort of condemn Israel. But if you dig into the story, that's not quite right. In fact, what's happened is that there's a Saudi stroke Sunni block of Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, you know, the, the, the rest of them, who are absolutely implacably opposed to the Iranian Shia type bloc. And the real story of the conference is that they wanted a series of outcomes like condemning Israel and ceasing diplomatic relations and threatening um, an OPEC-style um, oil sort of cessation of production and that didn't happen and i just get the sense that if you sat down with any of these people and said look can we talk about the geopolitics of the region and we can we talk about how tehran fears the house of saud having something approaching normal relations with jerusalem and in fact that is what is behind a lot of this and the palestinians are often used as a proxy for Iranian geopolitical short-term objectives. Whether you think that's right or not, there's still a discussion to be had there. It's amazing the people you talk to from the sort of quiz from Palestine type point who just say, no, 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 you know, open air prison, apartheid state, da, da, da. It's like, okay. there's another layer to this debate. And, and I emphasize you could come down on either side, right? You you could you, mm. you 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 could quite legitimately say actually. I mean, I think people know my position on on, on this. They could they could say I don't agree with you, Dennis, and I think that you know, I don't know some of the stuff the House of Saud or or the Iranian mullahs are saying makes sense or or whatever. But my point is not which side of the debate you come down. My point is. To, to engage in the debate in, and the discussion at such a superficial level, to not even look at that point and, and to just enjoy putting on your, your headscarf and making a nuisance of yourself. That, that I think, is a fundal, fundamental failure to deal with serious discourse. And I think it also suggests that, in fact, you're not interested in serious discourse 
you're interested in a day out and a few selfies. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's cruel or uncharitable. But that's kind I of don't. Music. I don't think that's either cruel or uncharitable. I think it actually reflects the reality on the ground. I think whoever you were speaking to is absolutely right. This is a Sunni Shia religious conflict as much as anything else. And it comes down to which theocratic dictatorship do you prefer best, Saudi Arabia or Iran? I think Iran is pulling all the strings here. It's no accident that the timing of this is around the time that Saudi Arabia was seeking to normalize relations with Israel. That has been derailed by this effectively. Well, hopefully not entirely, because it would Mm. be a complete game changer in the Middle East. It Mm. would be a complete game changer. Tehran don't want that. Tehran funds Hamas, as far as I'm aware. But these people aren't interested in these complexities. They just want to chant slogans, as they always do. And in fact, Mm. when some protesters have been interviewed, they don't even know what the river and the sea is that they are chanting for. Oh, God, I saw this. Yeah, I saw this with the interview where they said, you know, what's the river and what's the sea? And they, they, they to be fair, they got the sea. Mm-hmm. They knew what the sea was. But then when they said, what's the river, they couldn't name the river. Like, no. And there was a, there were two other uh, young women who were on the protest and they were interviewed. And, they, and the, the interviewer said, what do you think about the Hamas attacks of October the 7th? And this woman said, did, did Hamas attack Israel? I'm, I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about I need to look into this a bit more. Really? Mm-hmm. God. Absolutely. And I suspect that that's the thin level of knowledge and analysis that applies to queers for Palestine as well. I, we, see, we see this again and again and again. You know, we, we've got a kind of bourgeois class, quite well-fed, quite privileged, I suppose they're well-intentioned on one level, you know, who who chew up slogans, who get their news from goodness knows where. And the problem is they're so utterly possessed of a conviction that they are correct, that it gives them this rectitude to pronounce on things where there are very, very, very deep, nuanced things. It reminds me of the sort of trans women and women type set. You know, it's like you you can say that sort of slogan and be possessed of a sense of your own rectitude, but you have to do deeper thinking and say, well, if trans women are women, then Adam the meaty rapist, Isla Bryson, ends up in a cell with what we know as some of the most vulnerable women on on the planet. Now, look, Mm. I emphasize... It is, you know, there are lots of people who have perfectly legitimate criticisms of the government of Israel. There are lots of people who say there should be a ceasefire and a two-state solution, and they have perfectly legitimate reasons for saying that. Um, I, I, I have all kinds of disagreements with them, but I have honest disagreements with them. I'm talking about something different here. I'm talking about people who've dipped a toe in the debate and then scream and shout at everyone that they're insufficiently morally pure. And those, those I think, are two different things. 
Oh, absolutely. The people who call, who tell you to educate yourself when yeah. they haven't even bothered to educate themselves about the basics of what they're talking about. It's very enlightening, to say the least. Yeah. And it's 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 drag, Dennis. It's drag. They yeah, want to yeah, put yeah. on progressive yeah. drag. Yeah. For them, it's all performative. I think maybe there are some good intentions behind some of it, but a lot of it, I think, is for show and for mm. Instagram and for the carefully curated impression of themselves that they want to give out to their friends and peers on online. I, it's very superficial and very... Um, very lacking in any sort of depth, any sort of critical thought. You went and interviewed someone from Queers for Palestine and presented them with some of the horrors that are committed by Hamas in Gaza. They'd probably just turn it around and say, well, what about Israel? Because that's yeah. always the answer. And then if you point out that Israel is the only uh, democracy in the Middle East, the only pluralist modern democracy in that part of the world, uh, the only one where there's a pride march, they just say, well, that's just pinkwashing. Yeah, Israel yeah. is using this to uh, buff up its international reputation and to uh, conceal all the atrocities they commit against Palestinians. I can't bear it. This, I, I, I thought gender was bad enough, but this, mm. this is several times worse because it has so much real impact on, on the political landscape. And I just, I, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I just feel like national debate has really changed. And I first noticed it around Brexit. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was happening before that. But this this idea that people on the other side of a discussion aren't just people that you're disagreeing with and you take a different view, but they're they're wrong and they're either oh I don't know elitist metropolitan elite remainers or they're evil racist gammons. This absolute failure to be able to have a discussion really bothers me, if I'm honest, because. You know, you and I managed to disagree on lots of things. And, we, you know, we had a discussion just this week about a matter we disagreed about. And we're able to leave that and say, well, you take one view and I take the other. And I really feel that we're losing that at the moment. Um, oh, oh, yes. I don't know if it's the high octane of social media. I don't know if it's everyone wanting likes and clicks or something. But I, I, I think we are losing something really important here. Well, uh, let's move on, Mr. Dennis, and I have a question for you. Okay. Do you believe in actual, genuine free speech? <laughs> what, like the, the free speech uh, that you can misgender someone, that sort of free speech, or, or, or the different kind of new fashionable free speech? <laughs> well, that's the question, isn't it? Because I, our good friend... Mr. Owen Jones has come out in favour of actual, genuine free speech. In a video that um, he made on the stairs of some place, I don't know what, <laughs> maybe a university, because UCU, the Universities and Colleges Union, posted mm. it on their X feed and then 
memory hold it completely. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly because people were laughing too loudly. Yes. Do you, I, I know you haven't seen the video. Um, and I refuse I, to watch it, Clive. Well, Sorry. I, You're going to have to take the lead on this. <laughs> well, I, I actually downloaded the video. I transcribed mm. it. And I have a transcript here, which I've edited to oh, miss out all the um, all the pauses and the incoherence that sort of was scattered throughout the whole thing. But uh, little Owen, little Owen, as we call him, he wants to start a new campaign, right? Which champions free speech and actual genuine free speech as opposed to that uh phantasmical ungenuine <laughs> free speech that has been promoted before right he says things like uh the the right should never have been able to steal the garbs of free speech and all the rest of it i'll quote further from it you know the way we try to redefine it as the right of powerful people to say often bigoted, prejudiced, more extreme things than that about minorities that are marginalised without any right of anyone to respond to what they said. I don't right. know where he gets that idea from. Mm. His idea is that the very act of claiming prejudice is that that's characterised as an attack on free speech. And uh, then he goes on to talk about people who've been cancelled. He says, you know, that people who claim they're cancelled, who, who do so from their newspaper columns, from television screens and from their book deals. You know, that whole thing was really gross, end quote. The bitterness, mm. the bitterness there. <laughs> <laughs> they appear in more newspapers. They are more often on the television. And their books are selling better than yours, Owen. That's the problem, isn't it? You're on a, <laughs> you're I'm, glad I, I'm glad I wasn't the only person to sense a little bit of bitterness here. Mm -hmm. He is in a, a whole kingdom of butthurt right now. He's <laughs> traveling through that death valley. He says, he says, quote, I think we should start a new campaign for actual free speech. So I think it's born out of what we're seeing at the moment, which is, you know, throughout history, it's always been progressives who defended actual, genuine free speech and the right of free academic inquiry, which is what the government doesn't want. <laughs> well, I Owen know. wants free academic inquiry, does he? This is the guy. Apparently so. This is the guy who stood by and said nothing when Professor Joe Phoenix was uh, kicked out of Essex University, then kicked out of the Open University when Professor Kathleen Stock. Stop Stop me if there's too many women being mentioned here. That's funny, that, Owen, isn't it? I'm probably going to do a list of women here. Kathleen mm -hmm. Stock was kicked out of Sussex University, where Maya Foster was kicked out of her job. Or, I mean, you know, where else do I go with this? Um, Denise Farnley at the Arts Council, another mm -hmm. woman yeah, yeah. kicked out of her job. Alison Bailey, you know, mm -hmm. crucified by her chambers. Another woman there kicked out of her job. I mean, this isn't difficult, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. 
But he goes on to say, uh, he, he says, you know, they claim the side of council, cancel culture, which they've yeah. claimed is some new phenomenon. Progressives have always been on the receiving end. You had the first Red Scare after World War I, in which you had deportations, arrests, academics being intimidated. And you had, of course, McCarthyism, which is known as the second Red Scare, which, of course, didn't exist in the UK. It's so important that we stand our ground, we build equal coalitions, and we make it clear that we hold the flame of genuine free speech and free academic inquiry. Can I metaphorically put my barrister's wig on at this point mm -hmm. and, and cross-examine Mr. Jones? And yes. start, with, start with this question, please. Please name me one academic supportive of gender ideology Who's lost their job? Name me one. Well, quite. I suppose you could say Jacob Breslow, could you? But <laughs> yeah, well, that, was, that wasn't for his support of gender identity ideology. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Give, give, uh, me, give me a woman who's been cancelled, Owen. Give me a woman who's been cancelled in the same way as the list I just gave you. Give, give me mm -hmm. one woman who's lost their job, who's lost an opportunity. Who's, who's, who's lost, I don't know, the opportunity to publish a paper or speak at a conference. Give me one person who is in favour of gender ideology. Just give me one and tell me about their cancellation because I don't think you can give me an answer to that question, boy. No, no, he can't. He does, he does finish, though, by saying the ability of academics to freely explore often areas deemed controversial by the establishment and that's why what they want to shut down. What like the, like 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 the shoe stuff from Mr. Breslow? <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> well, quite. And let's not forget, Little Owen, that you were part of the monstering of Lisa Littman, who explored yep. the controversial subject, deemed controversial by the gender ideology establishment of rapid onset gender dysphoria. Yeah, and, and if we're going to talk about Owen monstering people, I think we have to. I think we're duty-bound to mention Suzanne Moore, veteran feminist, being chucked out of The Guardian because of one of his hate campaigns. And I think we have to mention Hadley Freeman being the recipient of exactly the same. And they're both mm. now respectively at The Telegraph and The Times because mm. Owen is out of control. Oh, and let's uh, not The Guardian forget and, and Kath Viner won't deal with him. And let's not forget uh, Julie Bindle, who has yeah, been yeah. actually subject to a motion at the National Union of Students calling her vile. <laughs> You're vile. No, You're that was a that was that was the subject of a motion at some National Union of Students conference about four or five years ago that she was right. vile. So she's but irredeemably it, it, vile. Just a coincidence, though, that um, she's a lesbian who rejects gender identity ideology, right? That's just a coincidence that it's like her and Kath Stock and Alison Bailey and Jay Feeney. It's it's just all, all these lesbians getting cancelled. That, that's mm -hmm. a coincidence, is it, Mr. Jones? Because it does seem to be lesbians, doesn't it? Well, but he huh. is he is a firm and impassioned campaigner for actual genuine free speech and what he means by actual genuine free speech is actual genuine free speech that he agrees with everyone else yeah. is part of the establishment and they're trying to shut down actual genuine free speech the double think that's going on in his brain must be 
Well, it's it's a set of mental gymnastics that I don't think I could possibly compete with. I just feel like he's trolling us, Clive, at this point. Well, I, I honestly don't know what he thinks he's playing at. Mm. I think he th- I think he sees things that are in headlines. And he thinks, how can I turn this around so that I look like the good guy always? Because he never, ever backs down and says, I may have been wrong. Never, never. I just find him so boring. It's always the people against me are evil and nasty and then into the personal attacks. There's never any engagement with the issue. There's never, look, two people can come at this debate and honestly and decently come to different views, which is called being an adult. It's so mm-hmm. childish, this. You yeah. Know. Uh, we, we've spoken about this just now. It's so childish. I mean, talk about a wolf in sheep's clothing. You, you, you can't, having participated in cancel culture, then set your face against it for a few clicks. Please don't mm. forget that the first big Twitter pylon I think I ever saw was Jonesy piling onto Alison Bailey, which mm-hmm. which he did with with you know some some gusto, because she had the temerity to tweet out that LGBT Alliance had been formed. I, I'm so, I I can't regard this bloke as a serious commentator. I just can't. I don't think he is either. But he's got his regular gig at the Guardian after having frightened off all the women who might have mm. stood in opposition to his nonsense. So. Good luck to you, Owen. Yeah, I look forward to the publication of your next book and see how many TV people want you on their show. (laughs) That would be very interesting. So far, he hasn't he hasn't waded into the trans debate in book form yet. So that that may be the next thing on his agenda. Could be. Mm, We wait. We await his no doubt impeccably researched valuable contribution to this debate appearing in book form. While we're talking about that subject, could I just put a plug out for Gareth Roberts' um, new book? It's called Gay Shame, and I think it's coming out in spring of next year, and I've been lucky enough to read some of it. And Mm -hmm. it is going to, if anyone is familiar with Gareth Roberts, he writes in, um, well, all sorts of newspapers. I see him quite a lot in The Spectator, um, mm-hmm. but it, but he's everywhere. He's he's a stalwart homosexual man. Doesn't take any nonsense. He's he's acerbic and brilliant. And um, I think his new book is going to blow the lid off this debate. And yeah. pre pre order it. Gareth Roberts, gay shame. You're gonna like it. It's yeah. um it's it's punchy as hell, and you won't agree with. A hundred percent of it, but you will admire just how on the battlements it is. It's a really good book, so I put that plug out if I may. I'll, I'll put a link into the show notes to a column uh, Gareth wrote for Spiked about the non-binary vicar. Uh, bi- <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Bingo, Allison. It's it is zinger after zinger it's fabulous it's like Ju- julie birchall at her best but as a gay man it really so, you know i do it really makes me proud to be a gay man to read things like that because like yes. when, when when gay men properly character assassinate someone else 
It, it is a thing of beauty, and it has to be said that is some proper gay man sass in there. It's good. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I have to quote my favorite bit or Go paraphrase because I can't remember the exact quote. It was about how Bingo Allison said that God had directed him towards his non binary identity. Yeah. And he said, you know, I'm no theologian, but, and then there's some stuff about what the view of God being omnipotent and all-knowing and what have you in there. And then he says, I find it difficult to believe, believe that God wouldn't listen to the prayers of people praying for peace in Ukraine, but did find time in his busy schedule to guide Bingo to the Revlon counter. <laughs> 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 yeah, screw the people of Kiev. Let's get this middle-aged heterosexual man to the Revlon counter. And honestly, what he does with his purchases from the Revlon counter is a hate crime, frankly. I think, I, I think Gareth described it as makeup applied a la Black and Decker. <laughs> 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 it's the kind of makeup that my dad might have applied going to a going to a topsy turvy party at Butlins circa 1975. It really is. Like it's not subtle. It's not going to win any awards though. Oh, oh my god, it's it's hilarious. I'll put a link in the I literally LOL'd. Yeah, me so too. I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, show notes. But talking of free speech, Dennis, you know, I don't know if this would count as uh, actual genuine free speech, according to Owen Jones. But there was a woman who was arrested in Northumbria for exercising her right <sighs> to free speech. Do you have some details on that, Mr. D? Yeah, well, here we go again. You know, it's um, it's a woman. And she's a lesbian. So bad luck, anyone who's picked on her, because you've now piqued my interest, because I don't like lesbians being treated like this. And she's been nicked and hauled in for a police interview under caution, to which she answered no comment, wisely, well done. And the questions were such things as, you treated, you, you, sorry, you tweeted, trans women are not women, do you think someone would be hurt by that? And it continues in that vein. What do I say about this, Clive? It is a grotesque abuse, in my view, of police powers to for Northumberland police to pick on some lesbian expressing legally protected, perfectly sensible views about a matter of some contention and to haul her in, in a clear example of the process is the punishment for a police interview. I am extremely pleased to say that the redoubtable Harry Miller and Sarah Fillmore of Fair Cop are on top of this. I know a number of things are being considered to help this woman. And those might be in the form of a private prosecution, and I think it's time for one of those myself, for the offence of misconduct in a public office, which it seems to me prima facie this is, or there's another offence of discharging 
uh, the duties of a constable improperly. Alternatively, there are civil remedies for damages um, for misfeasance in a public office. Mis misconduct is the crime, misfeasance is the tort, uh, and a variety of other things. But uh, suffice it to, to say, as Maya Fostata said on Twitter about the conversion therapy bill, said, if you give these guys the power to go out and nick people, they will do it. And you and I have said that before, Clive. Mm. And this is a very good example of a very captured police force victimizing a wholly innocent woman and subjecting her to the very worst that the criminal justice process has to offer. So I'm very pleased to see Fair Cop and a few others are on top of this. Needless to say, I, uh, as, as people might imagine, I'm in the background if I'm needed on that. But, you know, just another example, Clive. I mean, we all remember when Kelly J. Keane was arrested for, you said, something untoward about paedophiles or, you know, at that time she got nicked for the Section 5 public order at Brighton. I can't remember what she said on that occasion, but it was something unremarkable. I'm afraid, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. We've still got terribly captured police forces who are doing terrible things. So that's what's going on there. Yes, and uh, according to the Owen Jones formulation of free speech, this might not count as actual genuine free speech because it's about someone who's a powerful person saying bigoted and prejudiced things about minorities that are marginalised. I don't know if I can think of anyone more powerful than a lesbian who lives in Northumbria, an ordinary member of the public. Yeah, yeah. So, so powerful, so, so marginalised a community that they can invoke the power of the police to protect their finer feelings. It's so upside down, isn't it? Because... You know, when you look at the trans capture of every organization and every constabulary going and, you know, no one wants to listen to us gay men. But, but uh, you know, if we think we're laid down the pecking order, lesbians have it even worse. They're not interested in lesbians. And the idea that you position a lesbian as powerful or entitled and... Yeah, I mean, you know, do you know what? It's not the lesbians getting trans people arrested, is it? It very no. much is the other way round, isn't it? Members of the jury. I mean, come on. I know. <laughs> Sorry, Clive. I, know. I, know. I can't say anything more intelligent about this now. I'm just say, Ugh. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, it's caused quite a ruckus, and uh, I think that Fair Cop are keen on getting the chief constable of Northumbria involved as well. Let's not forget that the actual enforcement of the law is left to the least experienced officers, whereas those who uh, set policy for the enforcement of the law are not on the front line, but they are in offices creating yeah. policies in the background. So yeah. the average plod will just do what they are advised to do by senior management. So I think it's entirely appropriate to drag the chief constable into this because she is uh, fully pride flagged up and she said that, uh, amongst other prejudices, that transphobia is not acceptable in Northumbria. This will be some 
just bog standard policemen who they have about 20 weeks training and they have a lot to absorb in those 20 weeks trying to navigate the complexities of actual law on one hand and police policy on the other. This could shake things up. Plenty of officers go through that training and they don't do this, right? That training, which used to be at Hendon in London, that training emphasizes human rights. Plenty of decent officers don't go out and do this. What we've got is we've got a hardcore of very politically motivated officers who don't take their oath as a constable seriously, who go out and behave in a manner which is political. And this, have no doubt about it, this is a politically motivated arrest. And do you know what? We're talking about this one case because it is the one case. And it's important and we you know we're going to make sure that we get this sorted but 99% of officers don't do this and the training works it's no excuse for these people to say that they weren't paying attention during the human rights lecture it's not your job to police twitter go and police the bloody streets go and actually attend a burglary go and investigate an actual crime as the late great magdalene burns said leave lesbians alone that's my yes. view. Yes. Oh, I don't disagree with you, Dennis, but I think that we really do need to be clear about who is creating a situation in which these activist police officers can operate. Sure. And sure. and let's yeah. not let's not minimize the noxious, toxic influence of Stonewall on sure. the policing operations in this country, who have deliberately obfuscated and confused people through their diversity champions training to believe the law is as they would like it to be rather than the law being how it actually is. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, let's take that one step further and say what's going on in the charity sector. Stonewall have no experience and no expertise in operational policing matters uh, and yet the door is thrown open for them to pronounce on it in the same way they have no expertise or experience in pediatric therapeutic stuff but the door is thrown open for them Mm -hmm. and their little proxies their friends at mermaids we need I've said this for a long time. We we need to take a good, long, hard look at what the charity sector in this country is doing because it's being allowed into areas of public policy where it has nothing to say, it has nothing serious to say, it has no experience, and it has nothing good to say. That gives me a very useful lead-in to another story that I'd uh-huh. like to talk about today, which is the Trevor Project. <laughs> have, you, have you heard about the Trevor Project? Well, funny you should say that. I have heard about them because the last time we were on YouTube and slamming the conversion therapy bill because we said that it was state-mandated gay conversion therapy, the, the powers that be at YouTube slapped on a warning onto that recording of Queen's Speech directing people to the Trevor Project who are basically like the United States version of mermaids and people could click on that and basically find out or, or or learn that Clive and Dennis were wholly wrong. <laughs> so thanks, YouTube. <laughs> Thank you, YouTube. Well, mm. the Trevor Project has closed its account on X. 
<laughs> with a statement saying, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, it says the Trevor Project has made the decision to close its account on X, given the increasing hate and vitriol on the platform targeting the LGBT community, the group we exist to serve. LGBTQ young people are regularly victimized at the expense of their mental health and X's removal of certain moderation functions makes it more difficult for us to create a welcoming space for them on this platform. They have offered an alternative, their own social networking site designed specifically for ages 13 to 24. 13 to 24, that doesn't mm. sound like in any way that it might be problematic in terms of safeguarding, does it? No, not at all, not at all. I think it might be um, similar to Mermaid's chat forums. You know, perfectly well moderated, no problems whatsoever. Anyway, mm. I would have thought that the Trevor Project, which allegedly represents LGBT youth, might rather stay on X and defend those young people who are being, according to them, regularly victimized. But no, they've decided to resign from X altogether. Now, some bit of background on the Trevor Project. It started out as a suicide prevention project aimed at gay, lesbian and questioning youth. It was yeah. named after a short movie about a suicidal gay teenager called Trevor. And it was promoted as a suicide prevention project specifically for gay, lesbian youth or those who are questioning their sexual orientation. Well, as is the case with virtually all the legacy gay organisations, it is now LGBTQ compliant, which, as you mm. can probably guess, means that it's TQ dominated. Yeah. And has been for many years. But there's an interesting aside to this, mm -hmm. which is that from 2017 to 2022, their CEO was a man called Amit Paley, who's got a very interesting history. This is from Teen Vogue. These, these quotes are from Teen Vogue or the Huffington Post stories about this. He's no longer the CEO of the Trevor Project. And you're going to hear why. This is from Team Vogue, quote, As a rising associate partner at the global corporate consulting firm McKinsey & Co., Amit Paley worked on project, projects with the goal of increasing opioid sales and helping to boost Purdue Pharma's brand, even after the devastating effects of the opioid crisis with Purdue as a key player had become clear. Mm. For those listeners who don't know, Purdue Pharma created the drug OxyContin. Mm. OxyContin is an opioid and it was targeted at people with moderate to severe pain. Yeah. As anybody knows, opioids are addictive. Yeah. The way that Purdue Pharma got around this was quoting some rather dubious and inverted commas science to say that opioids such as oxycontin were not addictive that they only produced addictive addiction in one percent of users they, they they said that this was as a result of a robust clinical trial a study what actually it was was 
a quote from a letter to the editor of a magazine about addiction. Mm. That people who were looking into the evidence base for OxyContin being non-addictive had to search through several, several issues of this journal before they actually came to it because they were looking for an actual study. But what it actually was, was a letter on an editorial page. And it was not mm. intended to be a, a general recommendation for opioid use. This is where, if you ask me, we see some parallels with uh, so-called gender-affirming care. The mm. appeal to very shonky science, or in this case, no science at all. How they also marketed OxyContin was they said that it actually doesn't allow people to get addicted because it has this time release mechanism, which means if you take it for pain, it will last for 12 hours. And if you then take your next dose after 12 hours, you won't reach a point where your pain starts to increase. What this time release mechanism turned out to be was an enteric coating on the tablet. And people who became addicted to OxyContin worked out that if you just licked the enteric coating off, you got to the, the good stuff, the stuff that they wanted, the, the uh, oxycodone, which yeah. they then would crush up and either inject or snort, getting an instant hit of oxycodone. This was all known at the time that Amit Paley was working for uh, the consulting firm McKinsey & Co. And he was there trying to help Purdue Pharma to increase their opioid sales. Jesus Christ. Okay. Therefore, contributing to the opioid crisis. Why is this important? Well, because the Trevor Project themselves said that opioid addiction specifically was a problem for LGBTQ youth. They found oh, no way, really. <laughs> yep. They found that uh, OxyContin abuse was very prevalent amongst LGBTQ young people. But yep. there he was, CEO of the Trevor Project. Once all this came out, the fallout from it mm. and concerns about his leadership focused primarily on his drive to increase growth at the expense of quality, led to him being dismissed in 2022. Right. Quite rightly so, as well, if you ask mm. me. Now, this brings up several kind of interesting thoughts in my mind. Here's a man who's used to helping an opioid-producing pharmaceutical company to increase their sales. And then we have this sort of shift from actually advocating for LGB youth to expanding that to TQ plus youth and promoting gender affirming care. It's almost like he's growing the customer base, huh? I mean, the parallels are so bloody obvious, aren't they? Well, yes. The, the, the income uh, from the Trevor Project, the income of the Trevor Project, rather, increased massively while he was CEO. I mean, really astonishingly large yeah and what that meant was that he was focused on uh, expanding the income further which led to a drop in quality of the kind of support that they could offer so for instance their helpline um people who were operating their helpline were encouraged to take on more and more 
clients per, I don't know, per session, which yeah. meant that they were often having uh, conversations with three or four or five different people at the same time, which of course affected the, the, the quality of the responses they were giving. Yeah. Also, to me, what's an interesting parallel here is the way that OxyContin was marketed mirrors, not perfectly, but somewhat imperfectly, the way gender-affirming care is marketed. OxyContin, yeah. OxyContin was marketed at GPs, uh, what we'd call GPs. I don't know what they'd call them in um, America. But, mm. you know, general practitioners op yeah. serving a community. They'd send out attractive young salespeople, rather pneumatic-looking women, to mm. court these doctors and push their products and uh, get people on their side with little presents for the uh, receptionist at the doctor's surgery so that she would allow them access more readily. Doctors were given uh, rewards for, um, for prescribing OxyContin. They were given the tools with which to decide who should get OxyContin in the form of Purdue Pharma's own uh, pain scale. Right. It, the parallels to me are quite obvious where we have gender affirming care being pushed not through uh, GPs, but through directly to young people with, attract yeah. with attractive YouTube and Instagram influencers pushing this as an answer to all their problems. And also OxyContin tried to bury the facts of people who'd become addicted to their product in much the same way as the gender pharmaceutical industry tries to bury the fact of detransitioners. And these are just some sort of ill-formed thoughts that came into my mind when I was reading this story. Maybe it's something I need to sort of think about a bit more and, and maybe generate a real sort of more thoughtful piece on it. But I just thought it was interesting that here we have a man who was prepared to take the coin of a discredited pharmaceutical company who'd created a massive uh, opioid crisis in America with thousands and thousands of people dying as a result of opioid addiction. I mean, by 2015, more than 33,000 people in the United States had died of an overdose involving an opioid, most commonly yeah. Oxycontin. Yeah, well, this, it's serious bloody drugs, these things are. Yeah. In much the same way as puberty blockers are very serious drugs. I just thought it was interesting yeah, yeah. that this one character who was involved in both the opioid crisis and then the Trevor Project, which promotes gender-affirming care, just thought that that was an interesting crossover of two, what I would see as kind of medical scandals. I, ju I just love the way that you and I talk about, um, you know, a, a conversion therapy bill being state-sanctioned gay conversion therapy and YouTube direct viewers because they're worried that we are misinformation and wrong. They direct them to this chap <laughs> and he's the good guy it's just mm -hmm. extraordinary clive absolutely extraordinary that you it know is. that's the world that we live in
But thank I you think... for exposing him. <laughs> I think you've done a good job. <laughs> well, it wasn't me. It was Teen Vogue and Huffington Post who have their problems. Yeah. On this issue, they've been absolutely very sharp. Yeah. I might, I might try and get that together into a bit more of a thoughtful piece, and in which case it'll appear on the Substack. But I just thought the parallels were worth mentioning here. They're maybe parallels yeah, that maybe do got. that, and then you you can be a community note for the next time he says something. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's no get longer he's no longer CEO. He's been um, replaced by somebody called Peggy Royski, I think her name is. Uh, she's yeah. fully like pronounced up on Twitter, and you know LGBTQ mm. and non-binary youth seem to be her main obsession. You know the way, same way as Stonewall, basically. Yeah. So uh, interesting, interesting, very interesting. Good work, mate. Good Thank work. You. Well, it, it was the work of a moment. Honestly, it really was. Apart yeah. from maybe the thinking that I put into it, which was the work of. Uh, Maybe a couple of spells in the shower thinking, oh, isn't it interesting? <laughs> <laughs> but well, talking about puberty blockers, they link into the conversion therapy bill, don't they, Mr. Dennis? And they how do. it did not appear in the King's speech at the state opening of Parliament last week. No, didn't appear in the King's speech. Um, goodness knows what's happening now. We might get pre-legislative scrutiny, which means these you know, committee-style hearings... And a draft bill. I do hope that that's the case, so that if a Labour government does come in, we can just have a lot of evidence in the parliamentary library about how dangerous this piece of legislation is. Um, in other news, some idiot has introduced a Stonewall-style private members' bill in the Lords. I think Kate Osborne's going to do the same in the Commons. They won't get anywhere because the government will whip to vote against them. But, you know, they will cause some agitation here and there. But thank goodness all that slight nervous spasm we had from number 10 a little while ago that indicated we might have uh, the CT bill in the King's speech. That is not the case. It is not part of the government programme. We can stand down a little bit. We've been doing a lot of work on this. The wonderful John Hayward from Gay Men's Network, along with LGB Alliance Wales, met with the Secretary of State for Wales, just articulating our concerns about this and trying to point out that you you know you you can have this bill, the Stonewall style conversion therapy bill, if you want, or you can have Doctor Cass, but you can't have both. <laughs> they just yes. they don't work together. So. Um, I think I think that is one of those things that it's it's a bit like Night of the Living Dead, Clive. I think we're going to have to keep fighting that for a while. So, well, so I that's think where that, we are on that one. I think the nature of government in the UK means that you also have to take on the devolved administrations as well, right. like yeah. Wales, who could, because health is a devolved matter, could introduce a conversion therapy bill all their own. And if sort it's... of, but the remember the conversion therapy bill is a criminal statute, and the Welsh Assembly can't make criminal statutes. So it, it that's the thing. It looks like a health bill, but it's not. It's a criminal statute. So right. they okay. might have a problem with that. But but you're right in in one sense that they could try and get round it by imposing sort of I don't know devolved health legislation. So you're absolutely right. It's like heads of the Hydra. We do have to keep an eye on everything, including the devolved administrations. Yep, which of course includes the totally captured Scottish Parliament. Yeah, but they've, they've got their own problems at the moment with the SNP and various other 
uh, fallout from the um, collapse of the NSP, uh, NSP, SNP. <laughs> Put your teeth back in, love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, after their gender self-ID bill, which uh, remains right. blocked by the Secretary of State for Scotland. And this case for that. He does. Yeah. The case of the Scottish Parliament versus uh, the Secretary of State is still ongoing, I believe. Maybe we'll get That's a correct. judgment. Maybe we'll get a judgment before Christmas. A lovely Christmas present for the people of Scotland. <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're coming up to just over an hour now, Dennis. So I think we've okay. done our duty for the day. I think we have. Yep, I will put links into the uh, show notes. Um, I'll have to edit the audio as well because there was a difficult Tardes yep. Technologicos earlier, which saw you. <laughs> yeah, there was. <laughs> saw you drop out of the uh, out of the uh, recording altogether. So I will get this together. By the time you're listening to this, dear beloved listeners and subscri subscribers, it's going to be Monday, I would think. So yeah. happy Monday to all of you. Okay, Mr. Dennis, have a lovely rest of the evening, whatever you're planning on doing. And um, I will see you again soon. Thank you to all our listeners, to the subscribers. Keep on listening, keep on subscribing, keep spreading the word about how brilliant we are. And you can still send me money either through Buy Me A Coffee or through, <laughs> or through uh, PayPal Me. But the best way to ensure that this podcast gets money is to subscribe to us on Substack. There you get extra material, my ran my uh, rambling thoughts, and special episodes of the show, plus earlier access than you would have got on YouTube. With that in mind, have a lovely weekend. I will see you again soon, Mr. D. I just want to... Oh, I'll see, I just I'll want, see you soon. I just want to flag up that on November the 25th, God willing, we will be hosting Dr. Az Hakim as a guest on this show. I'm really, really stoked, as the young people say, for this man to appear on our show. He's got a book out at the moment called D-Trans, which I'm reading. Very, very, very interesting book, generating a lot of questions in my mind to ask the good doctor when he appears on the show. So subscribe to support our work in getting such fascinating people to appear. Okay, Mr. Dennis, cheerio. Cheerio, Mr. Clive, and goodbye, everyone. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.